0: Hi there, this is Jeff Edgers. Fifty years ago, the Rolling Stones headlined a free concert that ended in chaos, violence, and death. It was called Altamont. I spent the last eight months reporting on it to try to understand what it meant and why everything went so wrong. I talked to everybody I could, from Keith Richards to the guy who built the three-foot stage. You can listen to the story now on the All Told podcast. Get it at washingtonpost.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, history lovers. I'm Mike Rosenwald with RetroPod, a show about the past rediscovered. In 1955, Ethel Ennis released her first album. It was called Lullabies for Losers. The album put the Baltimore jazz singer on the fast track to fame. Ennis's husband told the Baltimore Sun that none other than jazz legend Billie Holiday called her to tell her she was the real deal and would be famous. Ennis's silky, soulful voice won her record contracts and European concert tours. She performed with big names like Benny Goodman, Duke Ellington, and Miles Davis. But Ennis never became a megastar. She turned down a life of international celebrity, all because she couldn't bear to leave home, to leave Baltimore. Ethel Ennis was born in Baltimore on November 28, 1932. Her father was a barber and her mother a homemaker. On the weekends, Ennis' mother played piano at church. For a while, Ennis followed in her mother's footsteps and became a church pianist herself. But by her teens, Ennis discovered rhythm and blues music. That didn't go over well with her conservative parents, though. They thought it was a passing phase. It wasn't. Ennis joined a group of young jazz musicians called Riley's Octet as a pianist. She was too young to play in clubs, so the octet played at local VFWs and fellowship halls. Ennis described her grandmother's reaction to her early jazz performances in an oral history interview she did with the Baltimore Voices Company in the late 70s.
1: Oh, no, no, no. She did not like for me to be in what she would call the beer gardens. And when I put on my first strapless gown, she said, where's your undershirt, gal? I said, you don't wear undershirts with strapless gowns. Mm -hmm.
0: At one performance, An audience member asked her to sing a popular song called In the Dark.
1: You can imagine me singing in the dark, it's just you and I, not a sound, not one little sigh, just the beat of my poor heart in the dark at the age of 15 (laughs) with a religious background. (laughs) But I sang the words, not knowing what I was singing really, sang the words and the people loved it, you know, I said, well, I'll just hang up my shingle as a singer also. So I'm a singer.
0: After high school, Ennis sang in strip clubs and trucker bars before landing a gig at Baltimore's Red Fox Jazz Club in 1954, according to the Baltimore Sun. A year later, she'd released that first album, Lullabies for Losers, the one that earned her the call from Billie Holiday. Ennis even joined Benny Goodman's band for a European tour organized by the U.S. State Department. Ennis, she was a huge success with audiences. And in the 1960s, she landed a recording contract at a major label, RCA Victor, the holy grail for a performer at that time. But the contract would come with two conditions. The record company, RCA, would control all of her performances, and she'd have to leave Baltimore. According to the Baltimore Sun, Ennis's agents told her she'd only be a semi-star if she stayed in Baltimore. She said, OK, I'll be a semi-star. In the oral history interview, Ennis was asked why she wouldn't live in New York or L.A., where she'd have more opportunities for fame.
1: Well, you have to be refueled. Yeah, my fertilization was right here. <laughs> Did, well, I guess I never wanted to leave my friends and family. I never did. Same right now in the neighborhood we live in. We wouldn't move away. We made friends there. And it's uh, a route that we've started. And uh, why move away? You know, No, um, yeah, I, I think that's so much more important.
0: Though she gave up her chance for superstardom, Ennis remained a fixture in the Baltimore jazz community. And continued working with some of the biggest names in jazz. She also made national appearances, including singing the National Anthem at Richard Nixon's presidential inauguration in 1973. And in 1984, Ennis and her husband opened Ethel's Place, an upscale Baltimore jazz club. It closed four years later though, but Ennis, she continued to sing locally. When big stars came to town, they asked her to sing with them. Though general audiences might not know her name, jazz historians say Ennis was one of the greats. After she died earlier this spring, a jazz scholar told the Baltimore Sun, Ethel could do what the really great singers do, and that is inhabiting a song and making it her own in a very special way. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. This episode was adapted from an obituary written by Frederick N. Rasmussen for the Baltimore Sun and published in the Washington Post. For more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod.